we've been talking about a lot of different things, but this last message, I want to talk about some of the things that push people away from church a little bit. Some of the things that make people not want to come to church, not want to be a part. You know, before I was a Christian, I didn't want to be a Christian. They were hypocrites. They were fake. I didn't want to be a part of that. And I want to talk a little bit about some of those things. But the biggest thing about Christianity I want to address is what it is. Christianity is not a call to follow Christians. Christianity is a call to follow Jesus. Let me say it again. Christianity is not a call to follow Christians. It's a call to follow Jesus. And if you would think about most of the horror stories, most of the church hurt, most of the things you've been through, it's been, it, it's, it, it happened to you through people. Through people, through people in leadership, through people in ministry. And one of the things, I'm not perfect by any means, but one of the things I always try to do as a leader is not be the cause of somebody hurt or someone not coming to church. If I have to humble myself, if I have to apologize, because sometimes we are representatives of God, us Christians. And I remember one time my sister had got frustrated with me about something, and it started kind of blocking her and God. And I had to realize that, that when she thought of God, she thought of me, and I had to make that right because I was a hurdle to her faith with God. And I want you as a Christian, as a believer, to just think about your life. Think about how you live. Think about how you treat people. And try not to be a stumbling block to people when it comes to God. However, we're not called to follow people. We're called to follow God. Okay, there was this farmer. There was this farmer, and he had a son, and his son was kind of lazy. He said, boy, get up out this bed. You need to work. And his son said, Dad, what do you want me to do? He said, son, I need you to go plow the field. He said, Dad, what do you want me to do? How do I plow the field? He said, son, it's real simple. I need you to plow straight lines down the field. His son said, Dad, okay, I can kind of do that, but how do I know if I'm plowing straight lines? His dad said, son, it's real simple. You see that cow down there? You see her? He said, yeah, Dad, I see the cow. He said, you just keep your eyes on that cow, and you plow towards that cow, and you plow towards that cow, and you will plow straight lines down the field. He said, okay, Dad, I can plow the lines. So the boy, he began to plow down the field, and he's, he's plowing, and he's plowing back and forth, and he's plowing down the field. He's plowing, he's plowing, he's plowing. Some of y'all think I'm crazy, but he's still plowing. He's plowing. His dad gets back. He comes to the field. He says, son, what happened? There's zigzags all over the field. What happened? I told you to plow straight lines. I told you to keep your eyes on that cow. He said, Dad, I did. But the cow started moving. And so many times in church, we don't keep our eyes on something stationary. We keep our eyes on people that's moving left to right, up to down. And now we can't walk a straight path following Jesus because the Christians start moving. The preacher start moving. The usher starts moving. The worship team starts moving. But let me tell you something. Jesus would never move because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Come on, somebody. Give our king a shout of praise. Jesus would never move. And sometimes we're like, well, man, those Christians are hypocrites. Is Jesus a hypocrite? Those Christians didn't love me. Did Jesus love you? Those Christians didn't accept me. They was clicky. Did Jesus accept you? Was he clicky? No, he wasn't. Because Jesus died for the world, not for a select few. So when you think about Christianity, don't think about Christians. Think about Christ because he is our representative, and he is the one that died for you, bled for you, and he's the one that lives for you. And as a church, we got to keep our eyes on Jesus. So many times in the church, we get hurt from people. I'm not serving no more because I'm offended by this person. You don't serve because of this person. You serve for Jesus. You don't serve because of me. You serve for Jesus. 
What you do is for Jesus. I remember having a conversation with a guy once, and I had a conversation with him, and he was like, hey, man, um, do you give tithes here? And I'm like, uh, yeah. He was like, well, man, I just feel like I'm not going to give tithes because they did this, 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 and this. I said, man, they kind of did this, this, and this, and this to me too. Only problem is I'm not giving tithes to them. I'm giving it to God. Everything I do is for God. I'm serving for God. I'm loving people for God. I'm witnessing for God. What I do is for God. And I want you to know something. God is calling you to follow him. It's a big call. It's a big price. But if you can get through it, it's the biggest payoff. Your life will be changed. Your family will be changed. Your kids will be changed. And what you got to realize in this life, friends, is this life is so much more than getting by. This life is so much more than going to work, coming home, eating dinner, going to work, coming home, eating dinner, going to work, coming home, eating dinner. Some of y'all are like, that is my life right there. Oh, you forgot about taking care of the kids. The life is more than, life is more than that. Life is about being who God has called you to be and doing what God has called you to do. And the biggest tragedy in the world is not death. It's life without purpose. Let me say it again. The biggest tragedy in the world is not death. It's life without purpose, and God wants you to live a purpose, and you find your purpose in following him. If you have your Bibles, I want you to, I want you to go to the book of Luke. Go to the book of Luke, chapter 14. I ain't preaching hard today. I'm going to explain this to y'all. We're going to pray, and, and we're going to go eat row house. Not all of us, but some of us. Luke, chapter 14. I'll give you guys a second to get there. Some of y'all kind of forgot, but I, I'm still a hollerback preacher in December, by the way. I don't know if you remember that or not. I'm just, just letting you know. Nothing crazy. Y'all pulled up in December like, Pastor is not a hollaback preacher. Pastor is a, a singular preacher. He just preaches and we look at him. The devil is a liar. I'm a hollaback preacher. <laughs> Y'all better quit playing with me. I'll make this sermon three hours long. I'm playing. Someone said, oh, well, I'm getting up anyway. I'm leaving too. I'm going to be preaching on my way out the door. <laughs> I can't be here that long. I got to go. Um, okay. So Luke 14, chapter 25. It says, now... Great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife, and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus, this is not a popular sermon. What are you preaching, Jesus? I'm trying to run everybody off. For which of you... Intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost. Whether he has enough to finish it, at least after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who sees it begins to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to war against another king does not sit down first to consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet with him who comes against him with 20,000. Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and access for conditions of peace. So likewise, who, so likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Jesus was a pretty nice 
guy. Most of the I mean, there's a couple times you've seen Jesus. He was he was turning over tables. There was a couple times Jesus, you know, he was getting a little lit. Like there was a couple times in the Bible, but for the most part, Jesus was pretty nice. Jesus was he was he was he was he was open. He had wide arms. Anybody could come in. But this passage of scripture is kind of alarming. Like he said, anyone that does not hate their father, their mother, their children, their brothers, their sisters, in themselves can't be his disciple. That's scary. That's deep. Like, what is Jesus? Like, I have to hate everybody, including myself, to be your disciple. And Jesus is saying, yes. And you might not start there, but eventually you have to grow there. And eventually you have to go there because if you're truly going to follow Jesus, Jesus can't just be a part of your life. He has to be the Lord of your life. Jesus just can't just be in your heart. He has to be on the throne of your heart. And what Jesus was saying was, he was saying that in your life, there will be a crossroad between him and your brothers, and your sisters, and your kids, and your wife, and your father, and your mother. And Jesus said, you have to get to a point where you choose him every time above everyone else if you're going to be his disciple. Now, he didn't say if you want to believe. He didn't say if you want it to be a Christian. He said if you want it to be a disciple. Because a Christian is one who believes in Jesus, but a disciple is one who follows Jesus. Let me say it again. A Christian is one who believes in Jesus. A disciple is one who follows Jesus. And Jesus said, if you want to follow me, I'm going to lead you to a place where it may put separation between your parents, where it may put separation between your kids, where it may put separation between everyone in your life. And my question for you is, are you willing to follow me? Because the biggest thing you have to realize about the church is you are called to be loyal to the head of the church. Not just the pastors, not just the leaders, not just the elders, the head of the church. And the head of the church is Christ. And you have to be loyal to Christ. And Jesus is saying, you're going to have to follow him. And he's saying, if you love him more than everyone else, you will make it through the journey. He said, but if you don't, you probably won't make it because you will get to crossroads where people stand in the way of you and Jesus. And you got to be willing to follow Jesus in hard times. you got to be willing to follow Jesus in inconvenience. And you got to be willing to follow Jesus through pressure. It's like a soldier. A soldier had walked across this field. And as he walked across this field, it had landmines everywhere. And he walked across the field. And as he walked across the field, he looked back and he saw his whole army and they were standing on the other side of the field. And he said, come on. And they said, they're not coming because they was afraid that if they walked through the field, they would blow up by a landmine. So he walked back to where they were. And he said, if you would just follow me, I would take you the path that I took. I will show you how not to get blown up by a landmine. I will show you how to be safe. I will show you how to live and make it to the other side. Friends, I'm telling you, that's what Jesus is calling us to do. He's saying, I know there's a lot of stress. There's a lot of division. There's a lot of pain and turmoil. But if you would just follow me, I will make you fishers of men. If you would follow me, I will get you to the other side of your destiny. If you would follow me, I will get you to the other side of your purpose. If you would just 
follow me. And the soldiers followed their captain, and they, they, they put their foot inside of his footsteps. And he would walk different ways to get across that field to not hit a landmine. And they just put their foot where he put his foot. Friends, that's what Jesus is calling the church to do. He's calling us to put our foot where he has put his foot. He's calling us to walk where he is walking. He's calling us to do what he is doing. He's calling us to say what he is saying. Come on, if y'all believe that, give God a shout of praise. Now, in order to follow him, you have to take up your cross. You have to take up your cross. And a cross isn't fun. I know a lot of times people wear crosses around their neck. But a cross is a symbol of death. A cross is a symbol of death. And Jesus is saying if you're truly going to follow him, you're going to have to die to your will and come alive to his. You're going to have to die to your flesh. You're going to have to die to your ways. Now, there's process. There's time. Jesus accepts you as you are. You can come as you are. Jesus loves you where you are, but he wants to lead you where you were created to be. Jesus knows you. There's things about you you don't know. You think, oh, I can't take that. Oh, I can't do that. Oh, I'm too afraid. Oh, I'm too shy. I don't have the ability to do those things, but Jesus knows you better than you know yourself. And if you would follow him, he would lead you to places you never thought you could go. And the problem is, you're the captain of your life. You're telling you what you deal with. You're telling you how much pressure you can take. You're telling you what you're capable of getting through. But the truth of the matter is, you need Jesus to tell you. Only let the one who created you label you. Only let the one that created you label you. Jesus created you. He's the only one that can label you. And Jesus said that you are called. Jesus said that you're blessed. He said you're free. He said you're the head and not the tail above, only and not beneath. Jesus said you can make it to the other side. And many times in our lives when Jesus is silent, He's silent because he's waiting at the end of his last instruction. He's waiting at the end of his last instruction. He told you to do something. And Jesus went to the end of what he told you to do, and he's sitting waiting on your obedience. And you're saying, God, where are you so far? I'm praying. I can't sense you. I can't feel you. And Jesus is saying, I'm on the other side of what I asked you to do. That's why when Jesus told the disciples, he said, go on to the other side. Jesus began to walk on water. He was walking to the other side to meet them there. Maybe you're not sensing God because he's meeting you where he told you to go. And my question is, would you go? Would you go? I'll tell you what God is calling you to do. God is calling you to build his church. And it's not a building. It's not this place. It's his people. God is calling you to build his people. I don't know how you would do that. But here's the deal. The transportation don't matter. Only the destination matters. The transportation don't matter. Only the destination matters. And the destination is helping people. How you go about doing that doesn't matter. You can do it on your job. You can do it in church. You can do it in the community. You can do it in the grocery store. But are you building God's kingdom? And are you building God's people? That's what God is calling you to do. And you have to get to a place in your life where you say, God, I am ready to allow you to let me build. Now, let me give you some lies of Satan. Let me give you some lies. Satan is going to come to you, and he's going to say, you're a sinner, you're fake, you're hypocritical, you smoke, you drink, you're not worthy, sit down, clean up, get it together, then come back. And Satan would be lying. Because you're never going to get it together. How did the last six months work out for you? Did you get it together? How about the last two weeks? Did you get it together? 
The truth of the matter is you would never get it together. You would never have it together. Only Jesus has it together. And if we would be honest, he's the only one that's worthy to get up here. I'm not worthy to preach. They're definitely not worthy to sing. Only Jesus is worthy to do anything in the church. But because Jesus, we can do everything in the church. Now, I'm not saying there's not different levels of leadership and accountability. Of course there is. But you can start somewhere. I had a pastor once. He called me and he said, man, there's somebody that went to my church. And, man, they're a big-time sinner. And I heard they were greeting at your church. I think you need to pull them out of greeting. I said, with all due respect, pastor, why can't they greet? Why can't they greet? Because if we would pop the hood on your life, I'm sure we can find a reason why you can't preach. And we can't judge people because their sin is more public than ours. Because that little lie, that little lust, that little hate, that little judgment is enough to disqualify you. So let's not get self-righteous here because if we did, none of us could do anything. But because of the goodness of God, we can do everything. Come on, somebody. Give them a shout of praise. We can stand in the presence of God because of God and him alone. Not because of us, not because of our good deeds, not because of our good works, because of our good God. And I'm standing here because he made a way. I didn't make a way. My family didn't make a way. You didn't make a way. The church didn't make a way. He made a way. And he's the reason why you can go now. You can serve now. You can lead now because you got to understand, you don't mature then minister. You actually mature by ministering. Because what happens is, as you begin to minister, you start realizing that your call is bigger than your sin. You start realizing it. Because I was a sinner too. But when I would go and speak to those college kids, and I would see Jesus turning lives around, I said, what God is calling me to do is bigger than the impulses of my flesh. And I began to drop my sins at the altar because I realized my life was bigger. But if I did not begin to minister, I would have stepped back and said, oh, I'll get it together sometime. I'll do it one day. I'll pray about it. No, start now. Start now. Now, before you're a pastor or an elder or in a high leadership position, there's a character standard. We know that. But for you, to be, for you to get in the foundational phases of your call, you can start where you, look at the disciples. Jesus called Peter. This psycho went cut somebody's ear off. I mean, Peter worse than Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson bit somebody's ear off. He cut somebody's ear off. But yet, but yet, but yet God used him to turn the world upside down. Those disciples is crazy. They were uneducated, but they were used by God. The apostle Paul. The apostle Saul. Saul. He was so bad, God had to change his name. God said, bro, you need a whole new name because those people are going to light you up in church. Like, one of those church mamas going to backhand you. We, you need an identity change. We got to cut your beard off, dye your hair, and give you a new name because you were out there in them streets that bad. This man killing Christians. 
But yet he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. I'm telling you, our God is a good God. Our God can use anybody. I'm telling you, our God can make a way out of no way. Our God can make highways out of storms. Come on, somebody. God can do it. And he will do it. But he needs your obedience. And I want you to know something, friends. Every last one of you guys are called to the church. Maybe it's not this one, but you're called to the church. And you need to find a church and serve. And guess what? No church is perfect. And let me tell you why the church ain't perfect. The moment you put on your clothes this morning and got in your car, whatever church you was headed to, you was going to make it not perfect. The moment you stepped in the building, the moment I stepped in the building made the church unperfect. But guess what? Our Christ is perfect. We don't need a perfect church. We just need a perfect God. And our God will always be perfect. Our God will always be enough. Our God will always be everything we need. And maybe people won't love you like they should, but Jesus will. And that's why you don't put your trust and your faith in people. Jesus is the rock you build on. Because when the waves, the winds, the storms come in life, everything else will shake except for Jesus. He's the foundational thing that you can build on, that you can trust. He will stand the test of time. I'm telling you, they tried to get rid of Jesus before he was born. They tried to get rid of Jesus when he was born. They tried to get rid of Jesus while he was leaving. They tried to get rid of Jesus after he was gone. But Jesus is still standing here 2,020 years later, stronger than he's ever been, in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of division, in the middle of a, of a hostile political climate, Jesus will stand the test of time because he is Lord of all. He's not just king, he's the king of kings. And he is who you serve. And guess what? People may judge you and tell you you're not ready. But what is Jesus saying? What is he saying? And the truth of the matter is whenever somebody comes to me and tells me they are ready, I'm alarmed. Because you're never ready. You're never ready. I'm not ready for what God is going to do through Radiant next season. God spoke to me. He said, son, I'm about to use you in a way like I've never used you. God, what, what, what are we going to do? So I'm going to give you, and I'm going to give the church great influence, and not for you, not for the church to reach people. And I want you to be humble. I want you to love people, and I want you to steward people. And God said, I'm going to start sending busloads of people inside of you guys' church. That's what God told me. And he said he's going to start doing it right away. As soon as we get into the new year, God's going to start doing it. He's going to start giving us great influence. And guess what? I'm not ready for that. I don't know how to lead nothing like that. I don't know how to pastor nothing like that. This is out of my comfort zone. But the moment you step out of comfort, you step into faith. And in order to walk in God's kingdom, the currency is faith. You're going to need faith. It's not education. You don't need, come, you don't need no money. You don't need a, a degree. You don't need anything to walk into God's kingdom. You don't need a degree. All you need is a G-O-D. He's all you need. If you got a G-O-D, you can walk into the things of God, the calling of God, the purpose of God. That's all you need. Do you know the disciples, they didn't follow under, under the rabbis of that day. They didn't have the teachers and the education. They definitely didn't come from the right family. They was fishermen. They didn't have the right social status. They didn't live in the right neighborhood, but they knew the real God. And if you know the real God, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Come on, somebody. Give them a shout of praise. So I want you guys to understand something. I want you guys to understand something. 
What I want you to understand is this. Your time is now. Your time is now. You don't have time to be wasting. Look at the world. Look at it. That's what God told me. God said, hey, Radiant Church time is now. Because in the world of division, you guys are a church in unity. In the world where they're, they're separating black and white, you guys are bringing them together. Your time is now. Your time is now. What is God calling you to do? What has God gifted you with? The time is now. The time is now. Because what's at stake is souls. When you walk into what you're called to do, people will get saved. Because when you do what you do, only you can do what you do because you're anointed to do what you do. And there's people that you can reach that I can never reach. There's people that you can get through that I can never get through. There's people that you can get to come to church that won't come off my invite. They won't come. But if you invited them, they would come. If you invited them, they would come. You know, me and Matt was having a funny conversation. I don't know if Matt's in the building. Me and him was having a funny conversation about two weeks ago because Matt was like, man, he's like, I'll be out. He said, I'll be out in the city, and I'll be inviting black people to church. And he said, man, it's just the weirdest thing because he's like, in their head, I know they're thinking like, man, he goes to the church, everyone's white there, and I won't be accepted. I was like, man, I don't know what you mean. Sometimes I'll be white, inviting white people in the community. And I know they see me, and they'll be like, oh, he goes to a church, there's all black people there, I won't be accepted. And Matt's like, man, what do we do with that? And I said, well, Matt, I created a multicultural folder. I'm going to send it to you. Matt, I'm still going to send that to you. I haven't yet. But it was a funny thing. It was a funny thing because Matt wanted to reach people out of his comfort zone, and that's what God has called me to do also. And the, and the coolest thing about that, the coolest thing about that is this. There's people that Matt's going to be able to reach that I can't reach. There's people I'm going to reach, Matt can't reach. But when we come together, we can do great things. There's people that we can relate to that others can't relate to. And we do that. That's how we reach the world. That's why Jesus had 12 disciples and not one disciple. Because 12 could reach diverse, different crowds. They all had different backgrounds. Some were tax collectors. Some were fishermen. They had different backgrounds. Some had a medical background. Why? Because they can reach different types of people. Friends, when you do what you do, there's somebody that's called to hear you. And they will respond if you would share the goodness of God. I'm telling you guys, we got to be serious about what God is serious about. A prayer that you should pray. Pray it, at, pray it with caution. But a prayer you should pray is this. God, break my heart for the world like your heart is broken for the world. Dangerous prayer. Dangerous prayer. I remember I prayed that, and I started feeling God's heart for the world and the weight for the world. And I would go to the college campus, and I would feel God's heart for that campus. And sometimes I would be shaking in my car before I can get out of my car because I felt God's embrace for those kids. God loved them. He died for them. And the craziest thing, when I would get up and I would preach there, it's like preaching nowhere else. When you have a room full of people that don't know Jesus, you can feel the weight of eternity on your shoulders. It's a magnetic thing because though you can feel the weight, Jesus is carrying it. You don't have to carry it. You can feel it, but Jesus is carrying it. And it's the most magical thing. I can't wait to go back to the campus in a couple of months. It's one of the most powerful things. But guess what? When we go out there, we can feel the weight of eternity because there's people out there that may not go to heaven if we don't go do what God has called us to do. And the crazy thing is we've seen over 1,000 people saved on that college campus. 
and none of us was ready. This church came out of that. We went to reach kids on the, on the college campus, and there was kids that said, we want to meet in the summer. And then we kept having this, and then it morphed into Radiant Church. But guess what? I didn't, I didn't know how we would have Radiant Church. All I did was put one foot in front of the other. God, what are you asking me to do now? See, one, most of you guys never see nothing big in your life because you can't start small. You can't start small. A big cathedral is built by one brick. One brick at a time. And, and many of us never see nothing big because we don't have the faith to start small. But the Bible says don't despise the day of small beginnings. Because while you're being faithful small, God is making a plan to make you bigger. If you ain't faithful with five people, God won't give you 500. If you won't love 100 people, God won't give you 1,000 people. You got to be faithful with what God has given you, and you have to be faithful now. What is it? Maybe some of you guys ain't called to, to, to lead in the church in a high capacity. We're all called to serve in the church, right? But maybe you're called to do something out the church, and maybe you have this, this thing, this God-sized dream that he has given you, and you're afraid to step out into it because you're saying, I don't have enough money. And if I did it, I can only serve two or three people. But guess what? If you change those two or three people's life, and if you were faithful with that, God would see you trustworthy, and he would give you more. And, and when I was called to ministry, there was two people, two. And I, I'm telling you, I would write sermons for those two. Those people thought I was crazy. I'm telling you, I would write my sermon. It would take me like 30 hours. I was writing my sermon like I was preaching at 15,000. But I was preaching to God, and he is, he is the only person that's worthy of your best. I'm telling you, start now. Walk in what God is calling you to walk in. So the biggest myth, the first one is this. You're not ready. You're not ready. Maybe you're not ready for the apex of your calling, but you are ready for the genesis of your calling. You are ready. That's a lie. That's a lie. You start, the disciples started ministry the day they started following Christ. That they didn't start preaching because they would have probably been cussing. But you know what I'm saying? They started the day. They started right away. Myth, myth number two. Myth number two. Myth number two. You, you, you come and you're like, uh, I don't know if I want to serve because I don't know if I'm good at what I do. I, I don't want to make a mistake. I don't want to hinder the church. I'm not as talented as everybody. Some of you guys got musical gifts in the building. And you look at Radiant Worship and you're like, oh, my gosh. They're like so incredible. I'm just going to hide my gift and bury it because I'm not that good. But in the kingdom of God, it's not about good. It's about anointing. I have sat and served. I would never forget one of the most powerful services I've been in was a guy leading worship that couldn't sing. And the Holy Spirit shook the place. Shook the place. Dude could not sing. Not even a little bit. But the Holy Spirit shook the place. Why? Why? Because it's the anointing of God that breaks yokes. It's the anointing. Man looks at the outward appearance. God looks at the inward appearance. You're not, you don't go do something because you're good at it. You do something because you're called, and God will improve your capacity, and he will sharpen your gift. When I started preaching, I wasn't good. What is that? No, I was called, and because I was called, I went. Leading this church, I'm getting better, but I wasn't good. You should have saw me the first couple of months. I remember we started our church where service started 45 minutes after the time limit. Why? I wasn't good, but I was called. And if you're called and if you stay faithful and keep going, God will make you better. 
got to start building people and putting teams around you and sending the right people if you would just go. Don't wait till you're good. Go because you're called by God. Come on, somebody, give them a shout of praise. And the keys can come up. I'm finna get ready to close. But the last one, the last one, the last one. Many of us, we sit back, we wait, and we procrastinate because we feel like if we went now, we would, we would ruin what God is doing. We would blow up what God is doing. We would, we, we would ruin the opportunity. We would ruin everything God wanted to do through us. I remember when I felt called. I would, I would not step out because I felt like if I went now premature, I would destroy everything God wanted to build. So I had this myth of waiting on the perfect timing. Whenever the time was right, when the moment was right, when everything was right, when someone asked me, when someone gave me an opportunity, when someone saw something in me, and I waited on timing, and I'm waiting on people to affirm me. And many of you guys are sitting in the seat waiting on timing and affirmation. And you might be sitting forever because the time may never come and the affirmation may never come. Do you know that, do you know nobody saw me and was like, hey, you need to go preach right now. Hey, this is your time. Hey, go do it. But let me tell you, God saw me. Maybe somebody affirmed you. Everyone's story is different, but God saw me. And I prayed, and God said, go, and I went. And I stumbled into destiny. You would never have the right path. You would never have the right course. You stumble into destiny. You stumble, you just you start doing something, and it leads to something else that leads to something else. Think about how you met your significant other. Think about it. There was little decisions that if you changed one decision, you wouldn't have met your spouse. One decision. There was a moment where you made a decision to do something that led to one of the biggest moments of your life. One decision. And how do you know that decision ain't today? How do you know that decision? How do you know you won't start doing something that would change the life of your family? How do you know you're not called to full-time ministry? How do you know? The biggest course starts with the smallest decisions. My life was set up to do something totally different. And I went through a tough season of my life. And I made a small decision. And that decision was to go to church. I didn't grow up in church. I was an atheist. I didn't believe in God. Had never been to church. 16, 17 years old. Never been besides to play basketball and steal pizza. I left before the service. Seriously. And I had this little nudge from somebody to go to church. And I went to church, y'all. I'm telling you, the pastor preached the sermon, and if he ain't never preached another sermon, he preached that sermon for me. Everything he said was everything I was dealing with. And I feel like I was looking God straight in his eyes. And the craziest thing, I didn't understand it, but I felt destiny. I felt eternity. I felt at home. I felt like a fish in the water. I felt like a bird in the air. I felt like a lion on a safari. I felt like I was home. I felt like I was where I finally, I finally found where I belonged. And I would look God in his eyes and he would look me in his eyes and I would know this is the place I was called to be. And 
the sermon was everything that I was dealing with. And then God started giving me supernatural ability. I would listen to the preacher preaching. I would supernaturally understand what he was saying. He would use big words and stuff I didn't know, like atonement. What's that? <laughs> and reconciliation, huh? Sanctification, what? And he would use these big words, and he would talk about, you got to go back to the Pentateuch and the Torah. I'm like, what is that? And he would just start saying these different things and talking about stuff like spiritual warfare. I'm like, huh, what's that? Warfare, who fighting? Iraq, Afghanistan? And I didn't understand nothing, but I would sit there, and God would give me supernatural capacity to understand. And God would reveal it to me, and he was showing me, son, this is what I call you to do. Some of the greatest moments in my life. And at that point, I realized I can't sit on what God has given me. I have to move on what God has given me. I have to give God my best. And God is calling some of you guys. He's calling you out. He's calling you to step out. Some of you guys serve God faithfully, and now you withdrew from the church. And you don't want to serve no more because you're hurt, and you're offended, and you're bitter. And God says, you need to drop that. You need to drop it. You need to drop that hurt, the church hurt, the rejection, the being looked over. Some of you guys serve faithfully, and they looked over you, and they picked someone else. And now you don't want to go back no more. And God is saying, I need you to drop that at the altar. Yeah. 